2: Good morning. It is Wednesday, October 14th, and you are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. It's just me today. Um, I thought we were overdue for a a newsy rundown across college football. And we also had some pretty late breaking news on Tuesday. So we're going to get into all of that. We will be listening in on a a podcast excerpt from the Miami fellas on that 42-17 loss to Clemson and what they felt went wrong with that. will be at the end of our rundown. We're going to talk about these huge action items at the top, and we're going to start with Florida, which announced on Tuesday afternoon that it has paused all team activities because of an increase in positive COVID-19 tests among players. The Gators announced earlier on Tuesday that they had five new COVID-19 positives. It's reported that number might be a little bit higher Um, But the the team pause and activities isn't all that surprising if the the number is much higher than five. What does that mean for this weekend's game in Gainesville against rival LSU? Probably not looking too good right now, and it's possible that by the time you're listening to this on Wednesday morning or Wednesday afternoon, that game has been postponed. We'll see. uh, A.D. Scott Strickland said that Florida has been in conversation with the SEC office as well as LSU, as well as AM, who the Gators played last week uh, and noted that the circumstances with the upcoming game this weekend will be reevaluated by Wednesday. So we'll see if any other positives come out. We'll see what contact tracing leaves the program looking like. We've seen, we saw in the NFL with the Titans and the, the Chiefs that the, the stream of positives can be slow and steady and frustrating, and you might think you have it closed off one day, and then it pops up two days later uh, with a few new positives. So we'll see. The good news is A&M has not reported anything unusual from its, from its testing this week following that game with Florida. Of course, this news comes just a few days after Dan Mullen said that he wanted to pack the Swamp and get Ben Hill Griffin Stadium up to its capacity of 90,000 fans following that loss at A&M, in which the Aggies and, and had a great home field advantage uh, in Kyle Field. So he looks a little bit silly for that. Mullen had also recently praised Florida for its efforts in curtailing the virus, saying, I'll be honest, I think if you look at what we've been able to do, the safety precautions we have followed, our players have followed, our coaches have followed, our staff follows, I think we're a model of safety of what we've been doing during this time period, unquote. A lot of people are pointing at his quotes from Saturday about packing the swamp, and while they're connecting that, he's now in danger of having his team's game being postponed this weekend, and if LSU-Florida gets postponed, it would indeed be the most marquee game of the season to have been postponed at this point. Funny enough, I guess funny enough, the other another game this weekend, Oklahoma State versus Baylor, has been postponed the other day because of a Baylor COVID outbreak numbering in the 20s. Baylor has, you know, already had a few games postponed, had Houston versus Baylor postponed because of contact tracing and COVID outbreak. But Baylor, Oklahoma State is sidelining the Cowboys this weekend. And so that means if, if Florida doesn't play this weekend and if Oklahoma State doesn't play this weekend, then you're gonna have two teams in the college football playoff mix. Who had games canceled, or, or games postponed, at least? So that's certainly interesting. Um, we'll we'll see how these schools and conferences adjust. Also, had Vanderbilt, Missouri, is postponed this upcoming weekend in the SUC as well. Will, will there be any sort of creative measures uh, taken into account as for how to reschedule these teams? Because eventually, you're, you're going to run out of bye weeks. I like what we've seen in the NFL. It's Tuesday evening and the Titans are finally going to play a game against the Bills on a Tuesday. Uh, The other week we had two Monday night games. Why can't college football play a few games on the weeknights? We've already seen college football games on Thursdays and Fridays. What's wrong with Tuesday? What's wrong with Wednesday? If we can get the games in, let's get the games in. So we'll see about all of that. All right, let's switch gears a bit and catch up on some transfer portal action The biggest one from the fall has been former five-star running back DeMarcus Bowman, transferring from Clemson two weeks into the season. Did not get much playing time. Crowded backfield. Travis Etienne had something to say about that. And announcing his intent to enroll at Florida just two days later, DeMarcus Bowman is from Lakeland, Florida. The Gators have not been supremely elite recruiters under Dan Mullen. Their classes under him have been around Uh, the the back half of the top 10, which is good. And if you're listening to this, you're going to be like, well, there's nothing wrong with that. But the fan expectations, thanks to what Urban Meyer did in Gainesville and thanks to what the rest of the SEC is doing, what rival Georgia is doing, you want a little bit better than that. The good news, though, is Mullen has been masterful at plugging those holes via the transfer portal. Crushing it this year, you've seen Brenton Cox, former Georgia transfer, doing big things on the defensive line, running back Lorenzo Lingard, receiver Justin Shorter. Those guys are big-time recruits. As well, last year, uh, Florida had great results from defensive lineman Jonathan Grenard from Louisville. So all that's to say, this is a guy Florida might not have gotten on the recruiting trail out of high school, but now he's essentially going to be a brand-new player for them starting in 2021. He's stupid fast. He will be an SEC name to know when the time comes. Uh, Kansas State wide receiver, an All-American kick returner, Josh Youngblood, entered the transfer portal just On Tuesday so a few hours ago he only played in two games this season and his box score was nothing to write home about so I won't even mention his like one or two catches but he was great in 2019 as a true freshman he was a big 12 special teams player of the year he averaged 36 yards per kickoff return and he scored three touchdowns on kickoffs which is unheard of in the modern era of college football so if someone wants to like bring back the the days of Dante Hall and you know Devin Hester and all those guys. Maybe Josh Youngblood. Someone's going to take a flyer on him. Really good player. Kansas State probably doesn't really understand why he did that. Uh, Kenyatta Watson, four-star cornerback in Texas's 2019 recruiting class. Yeah, people are already starting to get out of Austin. Announced on Monday he's going to enroll at Georgia Tech after transferring from UT earlier this month. Watson is from Georgia. He was expected to do big things this fall with the Longhorns. I don't believe he had the best fall camp, and so he the depth chart did not was not so kind to him, but I'm sure he will break out in Atlanta. And then one more, a, a name no one's really ever heard, but could be the best NFL prospect of anyone on this list. Willie Allen, 6 foot six offensive tackle from Louisiana Tech, had already opted out, so he wasn't going to play for them this year. But he did enter the transfer portal on Monday with an eye to enroll somewhere this spring and play in 2021. Big-time college football programs are already offering him. Uh, Florida State are already at least uh, interested in him. Florida State, Michigan, he told Knowles 24-7's Josh Newberg that his recruitment, his re-recruitment, is starting to heat up. And it certainly does seem like that. Florida State in particular could really use an NFL-quality offensive tackle. Allen's had a weird timeline. Uh, He originally enrolled at LSU in 2016, tried to transfer to TCU. That got blocked, so he enrolled at junior college and then landed back at the FBS level by going to Louisiana Tech. So we'll see where he goes, but someone to keep an eye on for sure. The College Football Daily will be right back.
1: Selling a little or a lot.
2: Next item, a summertime survey of Power Five leaders, 362 people, including university presidents, athletic directors, conference commissioners, revealed a willingness to consider reforms that would radically restructure Division One's most competitive levels, including separating FBS football from the NCAA. So that's potentially a really big story, potentially the biggest story of the week. Although I would imagine the the um, process for Power Five to separate from the NCAA would be quite the slow burn and maybe something to revisit in like 2025. Um, that's per a survey conducted by Shugel Research in Bethesda, Maryland. And the data was released by the Knight Commission for Intercollegiate, Intercollegiate Athletics on Tuesday Important to note with that survey, while the Power Five, its brain trust wants to go away from the NCAA for football, 80% of participants indicated it is, quote, essential to keep all current Division I schools in the same men's basketball tournament. So March Madness, the big dance, that's actually operated by the NCAA, whereas as we learned painfully this summer, the NCAA really has no jurisdiction over college football. Okay, remember this summer at the height of the racial injustice movement? Well, we talked about how the, uh, the Eyes of Texas, the University of Texas's alma mater, had become this really contentious discussion topic because the players released a, a statement saying they were essentially going, they were boycotting uh, recruited, recruited and donor related events if a few things did not change, such as the renaming of buildings on campus named after former uh, racist uh, professors and they wanted the Eyes of Texas to be uh, no longer required uh, of them to sing. And that was one of the few things um, on, the, on the demands but was the most notable one. And it was certainly extremely notable. The athletes cited the Eyes of Texas's history as a minstrel song as uh, something that was introduced in the early 1900s to the student body uh, in blackface, as a, a song that uh, is to the tune of I've been uh, working on the railroad, which, when that was originally introduced in the 1800s, had uh, racist lyrics, including the N word. Anyway, the eyes of Texas, the athletes reveal that it has a racist past, a, a racist birth, so to speak. They said they didn't want to participate in singing it. And Texas said, okay, you don't have to do that. The optics of that result have infuriated Texas alumni, most of them, at least the ones who speak with their wallet. And such as, like, after the Texas loss to Oklahoma this week and Sam Ellinger, the, the quarterback, was photographed standing pretty much by himself on the field with his horns held high in the air, seeing the eyes of Texas, again, by himself in a muddied, uniform after really being uh, the the the, the team's saving grace for the fourth quarter and, and the rest of the overtimes until his interception lost Texas the game in the fourth quarter. Texas fans love Sam Ellinger. The optics of him doing the eyes of Texas by himself did not sit well. And so as Tom Herman operates a seat that would have been hot, regardless of this controversy after a two and two start, now he's thrown or he now, now he has this thrown into the mix of angry alumni and angry Donors and boosters saying, how are you not making the players participate in this tried and true, cherished school tradition? So that's going to be something to watch in Austin. Uh, Does Tom Herman, he has to walk a pretty thin line here. He's either going to lose his team by forcing them to do something they've already said they don't want to or he's going to lose any support if he still had any from the people who are going to be in charge of whether he needs to be bought out of his contract. So Tom Herman knows that. He started his press conference on Monday uh, addressing that in a written statement, saying there are very strong emotions on both sides, but I have encouraged our staff and team to join me in participating after games in the eyes if they are comfortable doing that. I do believe it's important that we acknowledge and thank our fans after a hard-fought game. Uh, A little bit later said... That said, some members of our program have concerns and aren't comfortable participating at this time, and I respect that as well, unquote. Texas is on a bye this weekend and then plays uh, against Baylor in Austin. My guess is that the players will be on the field for the eyes of Texas following that Baylor game, which in Tom Herman's case better be a win, and that they will either not be participating in the singing of the song or they will have their arms across each other in a moment of unity. I don't think they will ever get the players back to singing it um, as far as most of the participation, but I, I think they they will try to work on a compromise to have the players out for the fight song. That will be a big story in Austin, Texas, and we will keep you updated there. Last news update before we get into the podcast, a Florida State football coach, bo- <laughs> former Florida State football coach Bobby Bowden Great news here. He says he's doing good after being admitted to a hospital for COVID-19. He told the Tallahassee Democrat all of that on Monday. Bowden is 90 years old, and he tested positive for the virus last Sunday and was taken to the hospital a few days later after feeling fatigued. Pretty scary, but it's really great news that he's doing well. Again, 90 years old. All right. That's a lot of news. I'm kind of winded. Hope you guys are all still here with me. Um, because we've got a really good podcast clip to listen to. The, the, the guys over at Through the Smoke, the 24-7 Sports Miami Hurricanes podcast, Andrew Ivins and David Lake, had a great episode diagnosing what went wrong in that 42-17 loss at Clemson number 7 Miami was was all geared up. We were ready to say, are they back or not? They clearly didn't look back. Uh, the, the episode is titled Closing the Door on Clemson and Hello, Pitt. And the first voice you're going to hear is Andrew Ivins, and then David Lake is going to answer his question. And they're going to talk about whether poor preparation between the bye week of the Florida State win and then bye and then the Clemson game, whether poor preparation there resulted in a loss or was a catalyst for a loss. And the reason they're going to talk about that is because last year Miami had a bye game before a disappointing loss to Virginia Tech that kind of took the wind out of that team's sails. And the guys make a great point, like what's wrong with the program in which our players seem less prepared to play after a bye week? So we're going to listen to that right now. That'll do it for me though, on today's episode of the College Football Daily. For our producer Tony Levitt, thank you for putting this episode together. Thank you to everyone for listening. Um, here are the guys from the Through the Smoke podcast.
0: Sure. So do you think this is a you know or it could be a combination of things? Do you think it's you put it on um, the team not being prepared or just miscues or they're going up against probably uh, a generational quarterback playing at home and what was kind of, I'm not saying it was a hostile environment, but it was loud. I don't think Miami had experienced that all season and that kind of just contributed to it going up against, you know, like running into a buzzsaw. So are, are you putting this yeah. on the bye week stuff or like, look guys, I mean, they're playing a team who hasn't lost at home in four years. I lean more towards the latter. Um, You know, the bye week stuff is
3: interesting, but I don't, like, in the context of this Clemson game, like, I don't think you can say Miami lost this game because of the bye week. Now, if you want to have a more nuanced conversation and say, okay, did Miami, like, why didn't Miami come out and play better? Like, why, why did it seem like, Clemson was the team with all the wrinkles you know and Clemson did not come off a bye whereas Miami you know Miami did a couple trick plays but overall it seemed like Clemson was the one who was doing things to dictate on both sides offense and defense where Miami had to continue to react to what Clemson was doing so I think that is a fair conversation to have but do I think uh the bye week loss uh trend is is applicable to this Clemson loss I would probably say no like you know you and I both thought Clemson was going to win the game right so you know I, I guess i if you thought Miami was going to win then maybe you you might
0: believe that but right. I no, think- I just like here here's it to me like I don't think Miami came out flat I think Clemson just said look we're pretty dang good we're gonna hold the ball for 12 minutes and you're gonna be down 14-0 and kind of figure it out I agree right And, and so I think the the flip side would be okay
3: still why wasn't Miami able to execute better because like I said like these errors were like Amari Carter you need to know like we discussed it in the podcast leading up to the game you need to know you cannot commit a targeting penalty he committed one and it extended a drive and it took him out of the game, which then thrust a freshman into the game. Uh, Ja'Kai Clark, like why are you getting false start penalties on the first two drives of the game in third and long situations? You need to play cleaner. Um, Quincy no, Roche, you're, you're a fifth-year senior and you're lining up off sides on a play where you're dropping back into coverage. So these – I think that it is a fair conversation to have, but look – Miami, it was going to be tough for Miami to win that game anyways. I think if you want to say, why didn't Miami play better coming off a bye week? I think that's a fair conversation.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.